are listening to the teaching ministries of Southwest Church, located in the heart of Springboro, Ohio, at 150 Remick Boulevard, beside the Kaufman Family YMCA. Please visit our website at www.southwestchurch.org. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Senior Minister Roger Hendricks. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're here during this 930 hour. You know, it's always, uh, this is one of those toughest, uh, this is the toughest Sunday of the year for me, honestly. I shared with the Saturday night group last night, I said, normally I would worship on Sundays, but this is the one weekend of the year. I think if I had my choice, I just would worship on Saturdays because uh, it just, it's tough to lose that hour, but I want to commend you for being disciplined uh, to move your clocks and, and just be... Uh, kind to the people that walk in at the very end, okay, that they forgot to change their clocks. But we're coming off a great weekend here at Southwest, and and uh, we were able to pack and box and ship uh, 81,864 meals to Haiti. Isn't that great? Our goal was 75,000. Praise God uh, that that goal was surpassed. I want to thank all of you who participated, get some pictures. If you came in a little late, you missed the video that we showed at the beginning, uh, we'll post that on social media this week, but uh, it was just a great day of uh, being the hands and feet of Jesus to be able to to package those meals up, and it was it was great to know that while we were doing that, uh, we had four people from this church that were actually in Haiti uh, passing out some of those meals, uh, and so it's great to see the garlands back, and, and I got to see Jordan, Jordan and Tina Barnhart went as well, and here's some pictures of their trip. Not only did they pass out meals to meet the needs of people in Haiti, but they also, through the generosity of, of you and the the mission efforts of Southwest, they were able to build a couple houses there uh, in Haiti, and here's the dedications of those homes. And so we are thrilled, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about that mission trip. This weekend, we're kicking off a new message series entitled Encounters. You can see from the set uh, here and the, the design of the stage behind me that our hope is that that as we have this weekend and the next five weekends leading up to Easter Sunday, that we're going, as we look at various encounters that Jesus had with individuals on his way to the cross, our hope is that we will encounter Jesus in a very real and fresh and new way. And so we hope that as we read these personal encounters that individuals had with Jesus, that that you personally will encounter Jesus Christ as well. And uh, we want to encourage you to make plans to be here each weekend of this series. But we also want to encourage you to be thinking, who can you invite? What neighbor, what coworker, what friend, what, what family member do you have a heart for that you want them to encounter Jesus Christ? And I pray that you'll and hope that you'll invite them to join us as we, as we walk down that road. Now, to guide us through this series, we're going to be examining the gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible with you or a Bible app, you might want to turn to Mark, which is the second book of the New Testament. And, and by the way, if you don't have a version of the Bible that you really feel like you can understand and, and really uh, read and get a lot out of. We've got these free New Testaments out in the lobby, 
And it's in the New Living Translation. This is a translation I discovered about five years ago. And I just love it because it, it really reads in the language we speak today. And so I encourage you to pick one up and maybe you could be reading in the Gospel of Mark during this series. Uh, I did something that I honestly had never done before preparing for this series. This, this past week on Thursday afternoon, I, I just uh, went and went to a coffee shop and sat down and, and sitting with some coffee, just read through the entire Gospel of Mark in one sitting. I'd never done that before. And I just sat there and read and tried to soak up what it means to really encounter Jesus. I took notes and just started seeing some things in a fresh new light. And I hope that that maybe during this series, you'll maybe not in one sitting, but during the course of this, uh, you're welcome to do that in one sitting, but maybe in the course of this series, you'll read through the gospel of Mark as well. We believe that Mark was the first of the four gospels that are recorded in scripture to be written. Uh, I've come to that conviction just from my study and examining the other gospel records. Uh, There's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And although Mark's listed second, it probably was written first. We believe that uh, uh, this individual, although he never names himself by name, none of the gospel writers do, none of them tell us their name in their writing, but we've been able to determine who wrote them. Uh, It was written by an individual that the Bible describes as John Mark. And so before we read Mark's introduction that's listed in the message notes, let's first be introduced to Mark so that we know the identity of this gospel writer and maybe some insights we'll gain from that. Mark, whose full name was John Mark, was a cousin of a prominent early Christian leader named Barnabas. Maybe you've heard of him. And he was a helpful, Mark was also a helpful mission partner along with Barnabas of the apostle Paul. And you can read about that in the Bible as well. We also learn from the Bible that Mark's mother, uh, name was Mary. Mary seemed like a common name back then. Okay, it's still common today. Uh, But Mark's mother was named Mary and she was one of the earliest Jesus followers. It was her house that the early Christians gathered to pray for the apostle Peter when he was imprisoned for his faith. You can read about that in Acts chapter 12. So not only was Mark influenced by his mother Mary, he was influenced by Barnabas and Paul, but he was also greatly influenced by the apostle Peter. In fact, Peter tells us that Mark was his apprentice in the faith. In fact, he even called him his son, not his uh, biological son, but his son in the faith. In fact, early Christian tradition described Mark as Peter's secretary or translator. He was the scribe that possibly wrote down the, the letters that Peter wrote. So possibly even when you read First Peter, Mark could have been the one that wrote it down. So in many ways, when we read the gospel of Mark, we are getting a very close-up encounter with the person of Jesus from one of his first and closest followers, the apostle Peter, because Peter influenced Mark greatly. You know, I, I just try to imagine Mark, who wrote this gospel down, as he was mentored by Peter 
Undoubtedly, he heard all the things that he wrote down, but he heard other stories as well. And I can just imagine them sitting that night and, and Peter reminiscing of his experiences with Peter, and, and that influenced John Mark in a great way. So as we work our way through the Gospel of Mark during the next six weeks, we'll see that Mark was also an eyewitness of Jesus. He inserts himself in the story on a couple of occasions, and I'm not going to tell you what those are yet, but that's just kind of a sneak preview of some things we'll look at in future weeks. So with that as our backdrop, let's jump right into Mark's introduction. As we read the Gospel of Mark, we get a real sense that the Gospel was truly on the move. It's fast-paced, especially the first two chapters, and, and Mark doesn't waste any time in describing this gospel. As we read in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he writes, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The word gospel, as we've shared before, that, that word is, you know, today we hear it, we, we hear of gospel music, we hear of gospel preachers. Uh, I grew up hearing of gospel meetings. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember uh, when, when uh, churches had those. But, but we hear that term and we think in terms of it's a religious term, but it's important for us to realize in the day that the Bible was written that this term was not a religious term. It was a term used by people just to communicate anybody that brought good news. The gospel just literally means good news. In fact, uh, newer translations translate it that way. For example, the New Living Translation I referred to earlier in Mark 1 verse 1 says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Somebody might say, well, why did the one translation read Christ and this one read Messiah? What's the difference? Well, it's just Messiah was the Hebrew word to describe Jesus' role. Christ was the Greek word. It means the same thing. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the Christ, the King. After describing the role of John the Baptist, Mark, after verse 1, as how the, John the Baptist came preparing people for Jesus in his ministry, Mark records the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry in this way in verse 14. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As we read this introduction, we see, yes, the gospel's on the move. Jesus has begun his ministry. But let's focus on three words in these Verses. The first blank, if the three words we're going to focus on are the three blanks in your message notes if you're taking notes. Uh, it, the, the first blank deals with the English word time, which is actually the Greek word kairos. Kairos. Now, the Greek language, and by the way, I. When I was in seminary, I really struggled when I took my two semesters of Greek. You can ask my wife. I'm, I'm not good at foreign languages, and I really struggled uh, through that. Uh, I carried around index cards with me all the time trying to remember these words, and, and it, was, it was a tough two courses for me. And yet, there's some things I learned, although I didn't really enjoy that class, there's some things I learned. I learned that the Greek language 
is a very descriptive language. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I didn't like the language because every verb had six tenses, and so you had to remember all the different tenses of every verb. But, but it, when it comes to many words in our English language that we just have one word, the Greeks had numerous words. That's true with the word time. There are two most common in, in the Greek, are the, the Greek word uh, kairos that I just mentioned, but a, a commonly one is chronos, which is where we get our English word chronology. Okay, that, this is the word that would use to describe the normal flow of time. That, that's the kind of word that we would use to measure time, how we describe, you know, we spring forward time, you know, on, on this daylight savings time Sunday. Okay, that's that word chronos. But the word kairos is a word that signifies an important moment in time that you can't necessarily measure by a clock or a calendar, but it's a, a very important moment or maybe very uh, appropriately translated an appointed time. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write kairos means, kairos means appointed time. This is the word that Mark uses to quote Jesus when he says the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, this is the appointed time for God's kingdom to break through in an amazing way. When the Bible describes God's kingdom, I I think a lot of times when we use that terminology, people immediately fast forward to like end times. And unfortunately, that's how it's been taught, but too often, and and it includes that. And yet, that's not it in its entirety. In fact, God's kingdom, we can also just substitute for God's kingdom, God's reign, God's leadership, God's rule. And so anybody that becomes a part of God's kingdom is, is they're willing to surrender to God's leadership in their life. You see, we all have a throne in our heart. The question is, who's sitting on that throne? For many of us, myself included, for many years, I, I sat on that throne. To become a part of God's kingdom means that you take yourself off the throne and you let God reign. You let God rule. You let God lead in your life. You see, Jesus announces there's going to be a breakthrough right now because God's kingdom has come from heaven to earth and and it's breaking through in a fresh new way. This was truly a God moment in time. In our ministry staff, we've been reading, reflecting, and discussing together. What does it mean to acknowledge Kairos moments in our lives? Moments where we ask ourselves, and this is a a graphic to help try to grasp this. As you think on one side of the circle, what is God saying? What is God saying to us as we read Scripture and as, as we pray and as we see God answer prayers and at times we see God delay in prayers? We, we've been asking ourselves in our ministry staff meetings and our devotionals to times together, what is God saying to us? 
So we try to observe, reflect, and discuss with each other what those God moments are in our lives. And oftentimes we begin those staff meetings and I ask the question, how's God been speaking to you lately? And how do you see God at work in your life? But then we also have been asking the second question is how will I respond? As we see God working in our life, as we see God speaking to our life and, and saying certain things to us, the question is, how will I, how will you respond to what we're observing God doing in our lives? You see here at Southwest, we, we don't just want to read and talk about Jesus. So that's important. But we want to truly encounter the living God that we come to know in Jesus Christ. So we also need to plan to respond, to be accountable to God for our lives and to each other, but also to act accordingly in a way that we can describe ourselves truly as Jesus followers or disciples. As a ministry staff, we've been working our way through some excellent discipleship material written by an author named Mike Breen. I don't know if any of you have ever read any of his stuff, but, but I find him very in, intriguing. He, in this material, he, he not only brings out things from the Gospels that help us think through this, but, but maybe why I just really relate to this material is, is he illustrates every point with a, a shape. Okay, and he uses geometric shapes, and I guess because I was a former geometry teacher, uh, this just really tracks with me, okay? So I, I really have enjoyed working through this material. In this material, the author uses uh, these shapes, but one that he uses is called a kairos circle. Now, when we describe these kairos moments, these appointed times in life where God breaks through in our life, they can be both negative, where we realize that we're called to confront temptation or, or possibly recognize that we have given in to temptation in the past and sinned in a particular area, and therefore we're being called to change by God. Or a kairos moment can also be extremely positive, where we recognize that God's breaking through and, and calling us to something exciting, a, a new adventure, a new mission, a new opportunity. Let's look at an example of each of those in Jesus' life, recorded earlier in this same chapter. The first is Jesus' baptism. Let's read about that in verses 9 through 11. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love with you. I am well pleased. Now, it's not clear to me, and I, I read this over and over again. I even read what commentators had to say. It's not clear to me whether everyone there saw heaven being torn open. I'm not sure if others besides Jesus saw the, the dove descending on him, the, the spirit, excuse me, descending on him like a dove, or whether anyone else besides Jesus 
heard the voice from heaven. And yet God's Spirit revealed this to Mark, and he wrote it down for us to recognize this appointed moment in Jesus' life that, that the Father broke through in a powerful way. And what a, what a powerful, positive encouragement that must have been to Jesus. You know, he'd lived for about 30 years in obscurity, working as a carpenter, just waiting for the appropriate God-appointed time for him to begin his ministry. And as he began his ministry to have this beautiful, powerful scene where the sky, heavens open up and the spirit descends on him like a dove and, and this voice from heaven, I wonder what that voice sounded like. If anybody else heard anything, maybe they just thought it was thunder. I, I don't think it sounded like Morgan Freeman, okay? But uh, I think it was powerful. It would have been powerful. And, and as, a, as an earthly parent, I think about the example that our Heavenly Father is here. To speak into His Son's life the words, You are my Son. You know, we sang earlier, we're a child of God. God, the Father, speaking into the Son, You are my Son, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. As a parent, I've asked myself often, do I communicate this kind of love, this kind of affirmation to my kids? If you're a parent, are you following the example of our Heavenly Father as He spoke in to His one and only Son in a powerful way? I like what N.T. Wright had to say about this moment, this God-appointed moment in time, when, when he wrote this. Listen to this. This is, this is powerful. It's, it's from his commenta- commentary, Mark for Everyone. This is what he wrote. He said, the whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point, that when the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, He says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. He sees us not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus Christ. It sometimes seems impossible, especially to people who've never had this kind of support from their earthly parents. But it's true, God looks at us and says, you are my dear, dear child. I'm delighted with you. Try reading that sentence slowly with your own name at the start and reflect quietly on God saying that to you, both at your baptism and every day since. In other words, can you hear God say today, Greg, You are my dear, dear child. I'm delighted with you. Cindy, you are my dear, dear child. I'm delighted with you. Jeremy, you are my dear, dear child. I'm delighted with you. I could just go through the crowd. Do you hear God saying that into your life? You see, this is incredible This is incredibly good news. 
And it's available to anyone who will trust Christ and identify with him in baptism as he was willing to identify with us in his baptism. Now, the second appointed time recorded in Mark 1 is immediately after Jesus' baptism when he's confronted in a dramatic way with temptation. Mark writes it, describes it this way in verse 12. The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Now, I'm not sure that I understand everything about these two verses, and yet I find it extremely interesting that the word Mark uses to describe God's Spirit working in the earthly life of Jesus. In fact, the New Living Translation reads that the Spirit compelled Jesus into the wilderness. This word can also be translated impelled or thrust forth. That's powerful. Powerful language of how it's truly a a God-appointed moment for, for Jesus to endure this time of testing. Here we see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all in agreement that Jesus must go toe to toe with Satan, the evil one, for an intense time of testing. A time that's truly an appointed time in which God's Spirit leads him in a very clear and powerful way. Now, as we pointed out earlier, these Kairos Kairos moments can be both positive, like Jesus' baptism, but it also can be what we might consider more negative, like this intense time of temptation. And in both the positive and the more challenging, even at times negative times that that we experience these kairos moments, the question that we must continue to ask ourselves as we go back to that circle is, what is God saying into my life and how will I respond? Now, let's go back to our opening key verse in verse 15. When it reads, the time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. You see, in either positive times or negative times, we need to hear Jesus' words, repent and believe. So if you're taking notes, the second blank is our second word of focus today is this word, repent. Now, unfortunately, we often view the word repent as a negative word, kind of like, oh, you know, I got to change. And yet, as we've explained before, this word repent in the original language, metanoia, is a beautiful word. It means to change our mind. It's, it, it's this idea that we are to truly, when we truly encounter Jesus, we must be willing to observe his life and our response to him. We must reflect on the meaning of that for our lives. And, and, and we must be willing to discuss how to apply his example and teaching for our lives. Again, this could be an extremely positive moment in our lives when God reveals something new to us 
And it could also be a more difficult or maybe negative moment when we're going through temptation or maybe we, unlike Jesus, recognize that we've given in to temptation. And we hear this call to repent that we need to quit saying yes to temptation. We need to begin saying no to temptation. Let's see how this played out in Mark's mentor's life, Simon Peter, when he records about how Peter and his brother Andrew first encountered Jesus. Let's read about that in verse 16. It says, as Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. What do you see? These guys, Andrew and Peter, were were fishermen, and they most likely intended to spend the rest of their lives casting their nets into the Sea of Galilee and making a good living. I I had the privilege to go to Israel a few years ago and and got to see uh, Capernaum where where Peter lived. And and I, I believe from my experience is that Peter must have been pretty good at fishing. He was making a good living because Peter's house seemed a little bit bigger than the other people's houses there. And we pretty much know which house was Peter because later a church uh, was his because later a church was built on that. We see these, these guys, they just weren't weekend fishermen. They, they did it as a living. They had nets that cast into the Sea of Galilee and they probably thought that they were going to be doing that the rest of their life. We're going to see in just a moment a couple other fishermen recorded in Mark's gospel. But, you know, these guys made a living by casting nets into the sea. It's kind of a tough weekend for me to talk about nets, okay? Some of you know I follow my favorite school and and their basketball program. And I was bragging about that last week a little bit, okay? In fact, if you want to know the truth, one of the reasons why we had the food packing event last weekend and not this weekend is because this is the Big Ten tournament weekend, okay? And so I had every uh, anticipation that my team was going to be in the Big Ten championship game this afternoon. So I didn't, I wanted to make sure that the food packing event wasn't the same day. And so uh, if, if you don't know what my team is, it's the Purdue Boilermakers. But, but you see, Purdue ran into the University of Michigan on Friday. And by the way, uh, Friday was a tough day for me because I was working on this message. So you, you know, this illustration is going to work in here uh, while this game's going on. But so I recorded it at home and I had a meeting with a couple of guys from the staff and we're talking and I'm watching uh, the game, uh, game on my ESPN app. Okay. I have to be honest. Okay. Uh, while we're talking and I was just tracking the score and then I saw it went into overtime and I said, guys, you want to continue this meeting at BW3s? And that's what we did. So, so we went to BW3s and we're watching the game and, and, you know, they kept showing over and over again, Michigan, by the way, and I don't know if you saw it on Wednesday, they had this plane accident where they ran off the runway. These guys, I mean, the, the basketball team thought they were going to die. And so they're playing way over their heads now because they're just grateful to be alive. And wouldn't you know, that's who Purdue plays on Friday, okay? So they, 
they, they're beating everybody and they beat Purdue. So pray for me. I have issues. Okay, but anyways, <laughs> back to this encounter. Get off nets out of my mind. Be, Peter and Andrew have this encounter with Jesus. This encounter was truly a Kairos moment, an appointed time, a time that their lives changed. You see, everything changes when we truly encounter Jesus. I love this initial invitation of Jesus. We've, we've consistently read Matthew's version of this invitation, but we read Mark's version. We also see in this invitation the definition of what it means to be a disciple or follower of Jesus. I love verse 17. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Once again, we see the threefold definition of what it means to be a head, heart, hands, follower of Jesus. With our head, we decide to follow Jesus. With our heart, we allow Jesus to change us and make us different. And with our hands, we put it into practice and we're willing to take action. But it all begins with our head where repentance begins. It's, a, it's an experience of a change of thinking. So if you're taking notes, to define repentance as a change of thinking. As we keep reading in Mark, we see repeatedly that as individuals encounter Jesus, that they change their thinking. There's repentance. They, they change their thinking of what, what they previously believed and realize that God wants to work in their lives in a fresh new way. In verse 19, we read about two other guys who are mending their fishing nets. It's the appointed time where Jesus calls James and John. In verse 19, it says, as he went a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boats mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I'm sure that James and John began that day thinking they were going to continue as a fisherman the rest of their lives. In a business that they even had people working for them, hired men. But when they encountered Jesus, they had a change of thinking and they recognized that God had a plan for their life of something different. You see, when we truly encounter Jesus, everything changes. And it begins with our mind of repentance. Well, as we keep going, we see our last point. You see, because it's important to have that change of mind, that repentance, so that we can do this last point, we can believe. You see, what holds us back oftentimes from true biblical faith in which we truly believe that God has something better in store for our lives is that we are not willing first to repent and let go of that which we've been previously clinging to. You see, these guys were willing to let go of their nets to follow Jesus. A lot of times we talk about believe and repent, but the truth is oftentimes we first must be willing to let go of something so that we can truly believe that God has a better plan for us. You see, that's what it means to have that Kairos moment. 
that we can begin to plan for a different, better life, realizing that we're called to give an account to our Creator for the life He's given us and to act accordingly with our lives. It's truly a time where we can begin to believe the good news that if we follow God's plan for our lives, it's a better plan. That when we follow Jesus' lead for our life, it's a more meaningful life. And that when we're open to these God-orchestrated moments, that the Holy Spirit will bring a more rewarding life into our life. Let's close this morning before we take communion with just one more encounter with Jesus at the very end of Mark chapter 1. In verse 40, we read this. A man of leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion. I love that. Moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be clean. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. In our first week of this series, we see the good news, the gospels on the move. It's impacting lives. It impacted Peter and Andrew, James and John, and it impacted this leper. We see a Savior who's willing to bring good news into the lives of people who will truly trust Him. And yet the question we have to ask ourselves at the end of this first week of this series is, do we believe the good news? Do we believe the good news that Jesus wants to bring healing and cleansing into our lives? You see, when we are willing to encounter Jesus and truly embrace this good news with faith, then Jesus will bring healing and cleansing into our lives as well. Do you need a healing touch from Jesus? Maybe recently you've come to grips with some brokenness in your own life. Maybe what you need to hear today is that Jesus is willing to bring healing into your life. I love Jesus. I love reading about him. I love talking about him. And I look forward to continuing to encounter him throughout this series as we work our way through the gospel of Mark. In fact, next week we're going to talk more about this healing touch that Jesus brings into our lives. And so I want to encourage you. If you sense some brokenness in your life, come back next week. So you can hear about the healing that Jesus wants to bring in your life. Can you think of somebody that needs a healing touch from Jesus? Maybe invite them to come with you. You see, do you believe? Do I believe? The good news that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. Let's close this weekend with an appointed time that Jesus had has ordained for us to truly encounter him, what the Bible calls the Lord's Supper or communion. And my hope and prayer is that this can truly be a kairos moment in all of our lives. 
for each and every person that accepts Jesus' invitation to participate in this supper. Maybe even think about the circle that's up on the screen. And during this time of communion, let's have some time to repent, to have a change of thinking. As we observe the Lord's Supper, as we reflect on Jesus' sacrifice, and possibly discuss in private prayer with God during this time any particular struggle, temptation, or sin in your life. And then the upside of that curve, that circle, is truly embrace the good news that Jesus has shown you and shown me he loves us, willing to sacrifice even his life. And let's embrace God's plan for our life, recognizing that we're to give account to him for our life decisions. And let's resolve as we go forward from this point the rest of this week that we will act accordingly as a follower of Jesus. Let's allow this time of communion to truly be a kairos moment where we repent and we believe. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you that um, Jesus came to this earth. Thank you, Father, how you break into our lives to help us recognize him and see him more clearly. I pray that during this time of communion, that you'll really break into our hearts and our lives and our thoughts and help us, Father, truly have a time of reflection and and for some of us a time of repentance. But also help us during this time of communion to believe, to believe the goodness of all that the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus and his resurrection brings to our lives. Help us truly encounter you during this time of communion. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Southwest Church Teaching Ministries. We are a community of people committed to following Jesus and making disciples. Please join us for one of our three weekly gatherings, Saturdays at 5.30 p.m., Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and 11.15 a.m.